Lord, I'm very aware uh, this morning that I need you. I feel feel like I've been really, really aware a lot lately um, as the pandemic, the, our world just makes it so clear that this is not our home. God, that we, we're, we're waiting for, for the home that we have with you where you will make everything right. You will make everything new. Jesus, I thank you for the salvation that, that you have made possible by your blood. Lord, I thank you for your word that you have given us. I pray, Lord, as I, I try to communicate about your word, to teach your word. God, would you open up our hearts and our minds? Spirit, we need you to be our teacher as we're in this passage today, as you're calling us to be different than we are naturally. Would you grow us in, in holiness, Lord? in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in 1 Peter. If you want to turn your Bibles there, uh, I heard a story about a uh, young man whose dad worked at a college in Illinois. He loved going to uh, work with his dad when he could. And uh, he'd go into his dad's office and and, uh, one year in the fall, he noticed this student. The the school was uh, set on this river um, the campus is on this river, and he noticed this student that day after day, he was there feeding these ducks. And he just, I mean, he seemed like he wasn't just interested in ducks, like he loved these ducks. And he noticed this each and every day. He was there every morning. Sometimes in the afternoons, he would come as well. And, and then as winter came, obviously it's different than here. It, it gets really, really cold. And that that river Parts of it along the side, it, it would freeze up. Sometimes the uh, across the river, it would it would freeze over the top. And this young man not only came out to feed the ducks, but through the winter, each and every morning, he would break the ice for these ducks. I mean, essentially, he was providing what these ducks needed every morning. And he he finally asked his dad. He's like, Dad, do you know anything about that guy? Like, what what is he? what's he doing? What's his thing with the ducks? And, and he said, yeah, he, uh, he's a new student. He just came back from uh, the Vietnam War at this point. This is obviously years and years ago. He, he came back from the war and uh, he does love ducks. He loves ducks because they actually saved his life. So when he was in Vietnam, his unit had been ambushed and everyone in his unit was wounded but him, most of them fatally wounded. And he, uh, he lied down uh, hoping to blend in with, with the rest of, of the people in his unit. But the enemy came and, and they were making sure one by one that everyone had been taken out. And, and the enemy was getting closer and closer and closer. And he knew this was it. And, and then suddenly these ducks fly overhead and completely distracted the enemy. They took their guns and started shooting at the ducks and chasing the ducks. So this man his life was saved by these ducks. And, and, and this, this dad told his son he, he loved because he lived. And I just thought, man, how true is that for us? Right? We, we love because we live. We've been given a life in a much more radical way than that young man. Jesus has taken us from, from being dead to giving us life. And Peter tells us today that there should be great changes in us. Right. In the verses uh, just prior to the passage, I'm so glad that Matt read those. 
Peter, he, he's urging people to live, or Christians to live this hope-filled, uh, holy lives because of what Jesus has done. And we're going to find Peter talking about holiness all throughout this letter. Uh, next week's passage, he's going to call us a, a holy nation, a holy priesthood. Peter believes that holiness really matters for Christians, and, and we ought to think the same. Our truth statement today is our holiness should be marked by brotherly love or a sincere love and continued growth in Christ. Our holiness should be marked by this sincere love and continued growth in Christ. So so we're going to see that Peter calls us to this deep, serious love for other Christians and that we are to continue to grow in Christ all throughout our lives. We're to be a people that love one another. We're to grow because uh, of the new birth. It's fueled by the new birth. So verse 22, he says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. And I want to pause there because if you're like me, maybe you get stuck on on this phrase, obedience to the truth. What does he mean here? Is he he talking about obeying the law? Is is this this list of things that that we need to do? Because that can feel, that feels legalistic to us. We remember, though, the law, Jesus summed it up, love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love people as yourself. So it doesn't make sense that that, that would be what he's talking about. We can't, we can't purify our souls by this obedience to the truth, by loving when that's what, what it is. He, 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 uh, uh, or in other words, we can't, we can't obey your soul into, be, into becoming pure, right? Keeping the law doesn't do that. There's no checklist of, of spiritual items that we can go through. So it, it's not that. So what is this obedience to the truth? Well, the truth, I think the passage makes clear and Peter makes clear throughout the letter, the truth is the gospel. In, in verse 25, if you look, it says in this word is the good news that was preached to you. So this obedience is believing in the gospel. It's placing our faith in the truth of the gospel that we needed Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled with God. It's it's God who causes us to be born again, which he'll say in a moment in the passage. But this obedience to the truth is the heart that responds in faith to the message of the gospel. So if if you've trusted in Christ, this is you. Right? This has happened. You're obedient to the gospel by trusting it. You believe and your life is changed, forever changed. So what is the result of this obedience to the gospel, this faith in the gospel? He goes on, he says, for a sincere brotherly love. And then he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Right? We're to love one another. And this isn't shocking to us that, that we should have a sincere love, the, the kind of love that we would expect siblings to have with one another. And, and maybe if you're, if you're a kid, maybe you don't feel like that's a great example of love. But as you grow up, I hope that you will have this deep, intense love for your sibling. This is what Peter expects. And, and, and when you come to Christ, it's supposed to be coming into a family that you're joining. Now, maybe you've heard someone uh, that's disenfranchised with the church. Maybe they've been burned by the church. They'll say something like, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And that's been a trendy phrase. I mean, for years and years now, say, I love Jesus, but I, I just, 
I can't get with the church. I don't love the church. And that sounds at first, that sounds maybe, it's kind of intriguing. It, it might sound a little edgy, maybe even cool, but it doesn't fly. Right? If you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, let's pretend someone came up to me after the sermon or after the service today, uh, meeting for the first time. They say, Greg, man, thank you. Like I, that really helped me today. Uh, when you, when you get into the word, there's something about you that's just really, really helpful. In fact, Greg, man, I love you as a brother in Christ. And And this person just goes on and on and on. Like, Greg, I just feel like we're kindred spirits. We connect. And then he says, but you know what? I met your wife. I'm not so into her. Okay, like you, Greg, yes. Lindsay, yeah, I don't know. How do you think I'm gonna respond to that, right? That's my bride, okay? So you can't think that you and I can be good and yet you don't like my bride and we're gonna be good, right? I'm not gonna say, yeah, let's go, let's go get some coffee later and hang out or or let's go fishing, no. Man, that doesn't work. The church is the bride of Christ. So saying, I love Jesus, but not the church, that might catch our attention for a minute. That might sound cool, but it doesn't make any sense, right? Yes, the church is made up of believers and we all battle sin. We all have our rough edges that that God is slowly changing. He's refining us, but we have to love the church. We have to love fellow believers. So I ask you, do you love, do you love the church? Do you love God's people? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you committed to them? Are you committed to your church? And know this, if if it hasn't happened yet in your church experience, you will get hurt by people at church, right? It may be, maybe by leadership, at a church, maybe by people that you're in a small group with. Um, In some way, you'll get hurt, you'll get offended, you'll be wronged by brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet we're commanded to have the sincere brotherly love. The holiness that God is working in us should result in this deep, deep love for other Christ followers. And this is of such importance that Peter, in in chapter four, verse eight, if you want to flip over there, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, he's saying, "This this is big. What I'm about to say, this is really big. I mean this, you need to love one another earnestly. And Christ followers, people who are, are obedient to the truth of the gospel, right? By trusting in Christ, we're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know probably someone's thinking, but what about Christians that get on my nerves? And I know this doesn't happen here at our church, but just in case someday you have to move to another state and find a new church, you might have to deal with this. Right? Even, even Christians that are different than you and me, Christians that, that maybe get under your skin, Christians that do some things that irritate you, we're to have a deep love for them. Right? This, is, this is a serious, intense, intentional love. And, and I actually, I love that the body of Christ 
isn't supposed to be this this homogenous thing that we are supposed to be different that it's all of these people that God God is gathering all kinds of people from all kinds of places together and and we we can see things differently obviously core gospel things man we need to be on the same page there but we can see things differently and what we have in common is Christ and there are so many deep relationships deep friendships that that I have and have had it at multiple churches over the years with with people that I would have if not for Christ I would have no other reason to be close with them and now obviously um, in a church I mean we only have maybe 80 90 people here today when pre-covid we were you know a little over 200 Peter's not saying that, man, you're going to be super intimate with every person in your church. We, we only have the capacity for so many close, close relationships. But we do owe this love to every Christian, every Christian that we, we get to know. So Jesus, you'll remember, he told his disciples, hey, this is going to be, how, this is how people will know that you're one of my disciples. This is what will mark you is by the love that you have for one another. Right? He didn't say, they will know you're my disciples if you go to church every week. Right? That's important, but he didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't say, you'll know, they'll know you're my disciples if you share the gospel a lot, which is obviously critical. We're commanded to do that. But no, he said, loving one another, this will show the world that you are my people. You are my disciples. And when churches don't love well, man, the world notices the, the world sees it. So he says that, that we have to love one another well, that we will have this sincere love, this earnest love. Believers are to be committed to uh, one another like a family. And Peter uses lots of family language throughout his book. Right? He says brotherly love here. He'll call us children later in the passage. He talks about newborn infants and, and we're supposed to love each other like like a family right there's a commitment to a family and, and and maybe maybe your family experience maybe your family is not that close but but you know what i'm talking about you know families that just love each other really really well so i wonder do you come to, to church, if this is your church, or if you're visiting with us today, when you come to your church, do you, do you come as if it's a family gathering? And I know, especially when you're newer to a church, it takes time, right? It takes time to, to, to feel like you're a part of the family, but do you come to a Sunday or, or maybe a community group or youth group or Bible study? Do you come and, and view this as, as your family that God has given you? Right? This is my family. These are my brothers. These are my sisters in Christ. And I owe them the debt of love because of what Christ has done in me. And certainly one implication of a sincere brotherly love is that you're really involved in your church. Right? We live in this consumer culture and, and it goes really against what the church is to be like, uh, how the church is to function. Matt and the students last week pointed out that each member of the church, each member of the body is key, which means that each member is to be active in their church. So if, if Harvest is your church, uh, or, or if you're part of another church and you're visiting with us today, are you actively playing a part in your church? Uh, this is 
This is part of how we live out the sincere brotherly love. I wonder uh, if you just show up to church, right? Or, or do you actually have contact with other people in the church outside of Sundays? I know this is challenging right now because of COVID, but when's the last time you, you had a meal with someone else, uh, another brother or sister in Christ, or, or did some activity together? We're, we're to love our brothers and sisters. I wonder if I, if I ask you right now to imagine one Christian that you are not loving with a sincere love, who comes to mind? Uh, I'd encourage you to spend this week talking with the Lord about that, talking with the Lord about the, the Christians that you just have a hard time loving, the, the Christians that, that maybe you'll notice them out in public and, and you'll just go the other way. You'll go down another aisle so you don't have to get in a conversation with them. I think one thing that our church has been pretty good at, not perfect, but really good at for a long time is welcoming people. Right? I remember my first Sunday here, I, I couldn't believe how many people welcomed me. And I thought that maybe it's because they heard I was applying for the job of youth pastor. So they just wanted to be super nice. But as I've watched our people over the years, man, we're, we're a pretty welcoming church. I mean, I'm not saying people don't slip through the cracks, but, but we do a pretty good job of that. And I think it's so much more important now, right? It, it's hard going to a new church right? You're, you move in from another area, you loved your old church, or maybe you've never been to church and you're coming to this church for the first time. It's a scary thing. Like you forget when you've been at the same place for a long time, how scary it is. And now everybody's wearing masks. You can't, you can hardly hear people. You can't really tell if somebody's smiling or not. Oh, it's so critical that, that we, uh, we're welcoming, that we're a loving body. I heard somewhere, read somewhere that the average visitor to a church needs to make seven connections in the first two weeks in order for them to have a chance at sticking at that church, at landing at that church, right? They need to have real conversations. People need to try and learn their names, maybe invite them to sit next to them, tell them, you know, things about our church. Anyway, I could, I could go on and on. Let's keep going. Verse 23, he says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Well, why do we love? It's because we've been born again. It's because we have been loved. We've been saved from sin and death by the blood of Christ. Right? He poured out his love for us. And the only response that makes sense is that we would love him and that we would love one another. He says we've been born again, not of uh, a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. And I don't know if you've ever thought about how cool God's design is of, of a seed. I mean, it's pretty incredible that this little seed has what it needs within it. Like if, if it gets put in some soil, if it has some moisture, if it's warm enough, it will germinate and grow all because of what, what's in this seed, right? So you could have an acorn, it could get planted and it's gonna grow into this massive, oak tree, right? How, how cool is that? But someday though, that, that oak tree is going to die. It's not going to be here forever. Verse 24, he, he's going to quote from Isaiah. He says, all flesh is like grass, all its, all its glory, like the flower of grass, the gra grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
right? This is an imperishable seed. This, he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's word remains forever. It isn't like flesh. Uh, if you were with us in Ecclesiastes, uh, you, might remember, um, you might remember us talking about how quickly after we die, we'll actually be forgotten. All of us are probably two, maybe three generations from no one on the planet remembering us. And I know that's really depressing. I'm sorry about that. But we're not that big of a deal, right? We're going to have maybe get 70, 80 years, maybe not, maybe way less than that. And then our life here is, is gone. Now, if you know Jesus, there's life forever right? God's word, it's not perishable like us. The work that he's doing, salvation is, is not perishable like, like the flower that's here one day and then gone the next. I love that it's called the, the good news. I don't know if, if you thought how interesting it is that, that it's called good news because normally news is something that is new, right? I wouldn't ask someone after the service, hey, did you hear the news about Pearl Harbor? And, and, and they would think, well, no, I, I didn't. Like, what, what's the new discovery? And I would tell them it was bombed. And they would say, Greg, that's not news. That, that's history. We, we learned that like junior year of high school. And yet the gospel, 2,000 years old, it's still news. It's relevant. It, it needs to be spoken. It needs to be shared. It needs to be heard because it brings life. Peter goes on. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And you notice that all of these, all these kill relationships. When these are in churches, man, relationships are deteriorating. And, and the ability of the church to be on mission, to make disciples, the glory of God, is, is greatly uh, hampered. It, it is taken off track he says, don't, don't have malice. Don't, don't deliberately want ill will. Don't deceive. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be envious. Don't slander people. P Peter says, don't do these things. Right? You have been changed. This is not how you relate. Holiness does not look like this. Christians are to put these things away, kind of like dirty clothes, right? Maybe you go outside to work in the yard and it's a day like this and you get hot and sweaty and maybe you're digging in the dirt. You get dirt all over you and grime and gunk. You're not going to come inside or at least I'm not going to come inside and then sit on my couch like I'm, I'm nasty. No, I'm, I'm going to take off those clothes. Uh, sometimes maybe you've gotten so nasty and filthy, you've actually thrown away clothes. I was on a missions trip in Haiti with, with a, a couple people uh, from this church. And at the end of the trip, I decided just to trash my clothes because it was so disgusting. I, I didn't want to pack those back. And, and Peter's saying, man, put off these things, get rid of these things. And then he tells us what we need instead. Verse two, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So what is this spiritual milk? Uh, a lot of translations say it's, it's the word of God. And think about what the word reveals to us, right? It, it reveals to us the good news that we aren't stuck in sin if we trust in Christ, if we believe in him. The word reveals to us 
who God is, that God is compassionate, that he's this loving father. It helps us to know that, that he's good, that he's full of grace and mercy, that he is kind. And w- without the word, you can't know these truths about God. Verse 23, like we read, it makes it very clear that we're saved through the living and abiding word. No one, no one is saved because someone's nice to them. Right? That might open the door for gospel words to be shared, but we aren't saved because of super nice Christ followers. No, we're saved through the word that God gives. And we know God through his word. And yet it's hard for us to get into his word. I, my guess is almost every one of us here struggles. Now we might have seasons where we just love being in the word, but for the most part, when I talk to Christians, it's hard. We call it a discipline for a reason. Uh, Did you know that on average, it it would take most people about 71 hours to read the Bible? A whole Bible in 71 hours. That blew my mind when I found that. I just thought it would be way longer than that. So in comparison, um, Office fans, the, the whole Office series is 74 hours. And if you binge watch that, you can read your Bible, all right? Um, you can listen to the Bible, certainly in 71 hours. Actually, our, our brains can, can take more and we can process more from what we hear. I, I think we speak about 125, 150 words an hour. We can actually process more like 400 or 500 words an hour. So if you have like the version app, man, I love listening to scripture. Or sometimes I'll listen as I read along in my Bible. And, and I, I, I speed it up to like one and a half times, sometimes 1.7 times. But we, man, we need the Bible. We need the word because it, it reveals God to us. It's how we know who God is. If you read three chapters of the Old Testament every day, and three chapters of the New Testament every day. In one year, you'd finish reading the whole Old Testament and you'd read the New Testament four times. Like just three and three. That's not that much. Like we can do that, right? We have no problem binge watching a series on Netflix or Amazon Prime, or or we have no problem being committed to exercise, but getting into God's word, it's a struggle for us. It is for all of us. It isn't easy. It's a discipline. One way that, that I try to have this, that longing is to surround myself with people that have that longing for this pure spiritual milk. And I've done several Bible read-throughs on my own. But every Bible read-through I've done with someone else, like we get together once a week or maybe every other week and and go through what we've read, it has always gone better when I'm partnered with someone. I've always learned more. I've always been better supported. And I've always actually been able to finish during my goal. Um, I I encourage you, surround yourself with with people that are like that. And and he he says, long for it like a newborn. And this isn't an insult um, he, like Paul, right? He says, you should be eating meat and, and you're drinking milk, you baby. I mean, I, that's not exactly how he said it, but, um, it, it, Peter's not saying it like that, right? He, he's not saying, he's not insulting us. Peter's saying, what he's saying here is a positive thing. He's giving us a positive image here. He's saying that we should long for this spiritual milk, like a newborn longs for milk, right? When, when a baby wants milk, Man, you know it pretty quick. And maybe the, the plea for milk at first will be uh, fairly quiet, maybe even kind of cute. 
But if they don't get what they want, it gets loud really quick. And everyone in the house hears. Maybe people outside of the house can hear. And moms, you can testify to this. It's not just like once a day, right? Twice a day, three times. No, they want it day and night. Like if they're not sleeping, it seems like what they want is is milk. And Peter says this, it it should be like that for us. Man, we should want to, to grow. We should long to know God, longing to be more and more like Jesus. And it's interesting that Peter He's commanding us, he's telling us to long for this, to desire it. To me, it comes across as odd that God can command us to desire or long for something, right? It it doesn't seem like a a longing works that way. If someone came up to me and said, Greg, long for sushi, there's a chance, like I like sushi, but I might not feel like sushi today. So maybe the power of suggestion could get me to want sushi, but today I actually want pizza. It's interesting to me that God God commands this longing. But do you trust that God will give you what you need for what he commands you to do? Think about the lame man that that Jesus healed, right? He said, get up and walk. The lame man could have said, are you kidding me? I I haven't been able to walk my whole life. You're telling me to to do something that I don't have the ability to do. And, And I wonder how often... Maybe we don't actually say those things to God, but, but that's what we believe. That's what we think. Right? We, we think things like, yeah, there was a time when, when I loved reading my Bible. Or like the psalmist says, as, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. There was a time, but God, it's been a long, long time since I felt that way. God, how can you command me to long for spiritual milk? Again, do we trust that God will give what you need for what he commands? Do you trust that God says, don't live like you used to and instead live this this holy way? God knows that that our old way of wiring was was to desire these old things, but God by his spirit rewires us. Do you trust that? Or are you stuck believing that, that God cannot change in you what's been a part of you for so long? That would take a miracle. Yes, it would. Instead of rewiring, maybe taste buds is helpful. And he talks about our tastes here. Before you were born again, you had tastes for certain things. Earlier in in chapter one, Peter called these passions of your former ignorance. Before you knew the truth of the gospel, before God had given you a new heart, God is now giving you new tastes. He's changing your spiritual taste buds and he's commanding us to long for this And he's the one that gives us what we need to long for it, the spiritual milk that grows us. I wonder how many of us here today feel stuck spiritually. Do you just feel like this is who I am? I've been this way a long time. I've been stuck in this this particular sin. I can't seem to beat it. And we need to pray that God would give us the longings that he's commanding us to have, that he would change our spiritual taste buds. Verse three says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And Peter, he does not want the Christian to stay stagnant, right? We're not to remain stuck. We're to grow into the salvation. And the harvest will know that our holiness is growing, it's increasing, it's doing what God intends when we do have an earnest love 
for one another and when we are growing more and more in the likeness of Christ, when we have this longing to grow in Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we love you, God. I'm so grateful that we, uh, that we can meet here today. Lord, I'm thankful even this weather isn't as hot as I thought it was going to be today. Lord, I'm way more grateful for salvation, God, that, that you, you sent your son to die for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins if we would place our faith in you, if we would repent of our sin and turn to you, Jesus. And Lord, for, for all of us that that, that that is true of, God, I pray that we would care about our holiness like Peter wants us to. And Lord, I pray that we our lives would be marked by uh, this brotherly love, this sincere, earnest love. God, I, I do think that there are a lot of ways that, that this church loves well, and there are a lot of ways we need to grow. Lord, if, there, if there's a brother or sister in Christ here in our church, that, that there needs to be some reconciliation between, or, or maybe a brother and sister at, at work or in our neighborhood, God, I pray that, that you would bug us with that spirit, that you would bring conviction, that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't let us sweep that under the rug, but that we would we'd be ready to be obedient to you by loving one another with, with the love that you have given us. And, and Father, I pray that, that we would continue to grow. Lord, I pray that we would have a longing to grow in you. That like newborn infants, we would just long to know you to, to be more and more like Christ, that, that you would grow us as your disciples, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.